I like doing it. Uh, people might pay me money for it. I, I didn't know yet. And, you know, there was this question of like, well, what if I tried to do this my way as opposed to going to a company and letting them define this is what this relationship is going to look like. What if I defined it? Would people come to me? Hey, friend, it's David Nabinsky here in Brooklyn. So excited for this podcast episode with Jonathan Basker. Here at Portfolio Career Podcast, we help you design your life and take ownership of your portfolio career. Today's guest is Jonathan Basker. He proudly runs his own company, a company of one, and he's done so for six years. He currently has a blended portfolio of work where he works as consultant in the HR human resource space and is also a leadership coach and offers group coaching programs as well. Jonathan has previously worked at and with leading firms like Etsy, Betaworks, Bark, Handy, and Envision, just to name a few. In this episode, you'll learn the ups and downs of a portfolio career, how he finds work, the importance of having a good network, figuring out your pricing for talking to companies, and how he figured out what he was going to do and how he was going to start to work with companies and so much more. As always, this episode with timestamp notes is available on my website, PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There, you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which has the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Here we go with Jonathan. Um, Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here. Good to see you. Likewise. Um, you know, one thing that's been fascinating to me is uh, I was trying to find a personal website of yours, mm-hmm. company website. Uh-huh. I don't have um, them. <laughs> never? Mm-mm. I haven't gotten around to it yet. I've, I've, it's, it's both uh, not yet been required and uh, it's just sort of sitting low on a to-do list and it never seems to bubble up. So you've kind of grown your business and, and personal work and stuff for five, six years, mm-hmm. never without a personal or company website. Yeah. Any, yeah. any secrets or you know, how, like, what's that kind of journey been like? I think it's more luck and, and happenstance. I mean, I, I'm lucky enough, you know, the, the role I had at Betaworks, which was several years ago now, you know, a large part of that job was going out to meet people. Um, you know, before that, I'd spent some time at, at Etsy, and there was this amazing alumni network of people I'd gotten to work with, who then you know spidered out into the New York ecosystem. And um, and I'm a, a business of one, so I never needed scale. I just needed enough work for for me, and I just haven't needed website people. I mean, I. I hope this doesn't come off sounding egotistical, but I am very proud. I was thinking about this before today, knowing we were going to talk. I'm really proud of the fact that, you know, everything I do comes from inbound referral. Like the way I generate business is people introduce me, former clients introduce me. I have, you know, two new HR consulting uh, clients right now, and both were via introduction. And sometimes, by the way, this is measured over years. Actually, both of these, I originally met the founders uh, well over a year ago. And in one case quickly came to realize I couldn't work with them. They were too small at the time. Had a couple, you know, hopefully helpful coffee chats and, and, you know, just said good luck. And they came back now, probably a year and a half later um, when they needed some help. And uh, what, what do you, 
how you said it was inbound. What do they typically, um, what do they typically come to you for? What's the range of things that you've seen? And, and, um, and then also how do you like to, or, or try to filter, uh, potential opportunities and mm-hmm. those are the filter questions a favorite of mine. Um, but I'll, I'll save it for a second. So, you know, I do a blend of things now. It's a portfolio career podcast. So that, that is appropriate. So I started when I started my own thing, when I hung out my shingle or whatever to, to become a consultant, um, I was mostly relying on my experience in, in startup recruiting and startup HR. And so the initial engagements were a blend of helping startups with their recruiting process and then helping startups that had some sort of needs around HR. It was mostly recruiting. Um, and then I just sort of fell into at a, a recruiting engagement, um, this idea of being an interim HR solution for startups that didn't have an HR person. And I actually was doing a small engagement with this company and was just kind of looking around and was noticing all these things like, oh, they, they should be aware that like they're going to want to address this or this is really cool, but maybe they should double down on it, et cetera. And their CTO was a friend of mine who brought me into the whole thing. So I just went and told him, I was like, hey, by the way, for whatever it's worth, these are things I'm noticing. He's like, oh, you should talk to our CEO. And he and I went out and got lunch. And then, you know, that, that was that engagement. And then that became, I'd say like the middle phase of this six or seven years so, so far, it was mostly interim VP of people, interim HR executive uh, at, at startups that were mostly growing quickly or, or needed some, you know, gap solution. Now, um, it's, it's a wider blend. So I still do that, but about two thirds of my business is leadership coaching. Um, something that I am deeply passionate about, obsessed with, and, um, you know, started on that path about three, four years ago. And in the last year and a half or so, it's, it's just become more and more of what I do. So my blend is most of my coaching clients or founders or CEOs or functional executives in startups that are series A to series C sub 500 employees. I also have a a cohort of clients that grew a lot during this year or this last year because of COVID who are more interested in a very broad comprehensive exploration of like what they're gonna do next. So so I do work with people on something like career development, but I don't, I tend to work well with clients that come to me expecting a bunch of checklists and we end up talking a lot about feelings and core beliefs and you know what do you want from your life and the people that respond well to that some of them become clients and that's another bucket there's a lot of trainings mediations executive offsite uh work that, that just gets sort of scattered throughout the year and then i do still do um interim hr support but because i have all of these coaching clients now it's it's more fractional so i'll come into a company when it makes sense for a day or two a week and support them that way Okay. And then on the filtering side, it's, um, you know, is there, I don't want to say a canned response, but is there a couple questions that, um, you know, that you like to utilize to potentially understand the problem more or, um, for me, it is ultimately all about gut. The few times I've had an uneasy feeling about a potential engagement and said, nah, it'll be fine. Let myself get distracted by the something shiny. It could have been the money. It could have been the flexibility that that particular thing afforded. It could have been the brand. Um, every time I've ignored that feeling, I then had a, a crummy few months. I lived to regret it. It was never worth it. Um, 
and so that's now my ultimate thing. It's enough. If I feel uneasy, it's enough for me to walk away. I do want to know why. I mean, I then go and explore like, why am I feeling this way? And um, often it ends up being a, some sort of communication stylistic or philosophical misalignment that, that, you know, my intuition knows about before my before brain is able to process it. Um, so I've learned to listen to that always, even if I'm wrong. I mean, I could potentially misread something. I'd rather do that. I also now on the HR side, I have one conversation I have with all potential clients that we carve out explicit time to have before I agree to work with them. And the, I tell them this in advance, the title of the conversation is called, what are we going to do when it turns out the problem is you? <laughs> because it's an almost inevitable. It's just the nature of leadership. It doesn't mean you're a terrible person. It doesn't mean, you know, there's something inherently wrong with you or you're a bad CEO, none of those things. But, um, at the size and scale of organizations I work with, if you are a leader of said organization, your behaviors, your choices, your beliefs, your actions, they're going to have direct and meaningful impact on the business. And so some percentage of the things that I work with in, in my world, you know, employee engagement, employee happiness, clarity of vision, they're going to involve what's generating from the founders and, and from the CEO. And so that's become really important too. If someone's like, oh, I don't think it's that. I think it's a bunch of other stuff. That's a, a red flag for me. And then I suppose I'm always looking during our initial conversations for coachability, for a receptiveness to a different way of thinking. Um, I mean, one of my favorite co quotes has become, uh, no problem can be solved at the level at which it was created. It's close, it's Einstein. And, um, I think for my work, that's really true. Part of my job is to come in and help increase the awareness or, or expose some of the mechanics of what might be going on, healthy or unhealthy, good or bad. And um, and then discuss and, and take action so that we can actually do something with it. But um, you know, I generally, if I'm being brought in as an HR consultant, it's not necessarily that something's terrible or something's wrong, but you know, for any consultant, there's a reason they hired you. And so understanding what that reason is and exploring it is important. And so I, I start looking at that in that assessment for what a good fit looks like. And if we can't have those conversations, if they're not pleasant, productive, clear, um, that's probably a signal that it's, it's not the right fit and we shouldn't engage. Mm -hmm. um, and it also sounds like what I'm hearing a little bit is like the, the beauty or the benefits of like consistency and general type of work. Um, you know, the inbound, like if someone says, Hey, you're interested in this, or could you do this? And you say, no, then that mm -hmm. person knows not to come to you for that again. Um, but then if they, if you say yes, and then you do that work and then you let them know. And then, um, so it sounds like there's some, obviously some compounding benefits of consistency. Yes. Although, so I try to be consistent in my outcomes. I can't claim that. I can't claim I've never failed in one of these engagements. They've mostly gone really well. Uh, some of them have not. And in terms of like the flow of my year, it's not consistent at all. And, and I've just had to learn how to make my peace with that. Um, you know, I'll have a really weak quarter followed by the best quarter ever in my mind. It amortizes and I kind of find out at the end of the year how much I made. Uh, so if, sorry, if you meant consistency in terms of like how it's not like people are just banging down my door all the time and, and I'm beating them away with, with a broom. Um, it, I'm lucky again, because I've chosen to just do this myself. I don't have staff. I effectively have no overhead. Um, and I'm fortunate, like I make enough. And, and one thing that was really helpful for me was just to define like, what is enough. And 
you know, gotten to a place that I'm very grateful for where most of the time I can turn things down also just because I'd rather, you know, have a balanced life or, you know, these days in the fall, I'm, I'm a new and obsessed hunter. And like, it's hard to get me to work in hunting season. You know, like I, I have other priorities. It's the beauty of what I get to do, um, which is more rare than it should be. Like I get to decide how much I want to ramp up or, or ramp down. And this, this, we were talking about this a little bit before this is around the decisions and deciding and um, kind of figuring out the lifestyle that you're interested in uh, maybe first or, or along the way, and then making choices if you can based upon those, that framework, maybe talk a little bit more about kind of, uh, if someone's looking to design their portfolio career or, or, um, yeah. Cool. So I think it's actually important, like for my, my story with all this, where it all began was me stepping out of all of the things I just described. And I took a couple shots at entrepreneurship and being like an operator within a business. And I just whiffed it. I mean, I'm not saying everything was bad, but, but I had two experiences in a row where um, I just wasn't successful in the way I wanted to be. And, and the signaling was there that I'd have to work really hard to become the person that fit that role. I, and I was more miserable in that period of my life than I've ever been before or since. More stressed, more confused, tired. And um, it all culminated with getting very lovingly fired from a job that I was about to quit. And it just, you know, it was, I sometimes describe this like this, it's a, it's a little bit random, but there's a movie called Contact with Jodie Foster from a long time ago. And she's in this um, space shuttle and it's been designed for her. And it's got this big chair in the middle that she's stuck in. That wasn't part of the design. So she's sitting in the chair and it's rattling around. The whole thing is like really scary and terrible. And at some point she just like gets out of the chair and the whole thing instantly gets calm. And I had this experience of just being in the wrong seat or like the wrong spot. I put myself in the wrong place and everything was shaking constantly and it was very stressful. And as soon as I got up, I just like, oh, right, you, you don't have to be here. Like you put yourself here, stood up, got out of the chair uh, or got fired out of the chair and um, spent a month or two just soul searching. I mean, I, I went out to like a friend's family cabin in the woods level soul searching, you know, by myself. Mm. And I was really broken down. I mean, I was so disappointed that this thing hadn't worked. I was very scared about what this meant about me and for me and what was going to come. I mean, it was a moment of uh, real rock bottom and, and really not feeling great. And through the healing of that, I I came back thinking about what was coming next, a wildly open viewpoint. It's like, I could do anything. I don't even know if I want to stay in the startup thing. Maybe I want to go, you know, raise llamas on a farm. Maybe I was meant to be a massage therapist. Maybe I was supposed to, you know, go be a bookie. I don't, I don't know. I clearly don't know. So let's go back to the drawing board. I'll say as an aside, it was helpful, I think, to have a few years of work under my belt. I, I think it's a little hard sometimes at like 20 or 21 to have that conversation with yourself because it's all theory. You got to go out and like try some things, succeed and fail. And, and you can use that as data. So what I ultimately did is I came back and I asked myself, a few questions that were sort of like a Venn diagram of slicing that, that brought me back to what I do today. And the first question is, what am I good at? And the way I defined that, I literally just got like a pad of paper and a pen and started thinking about all the things I had put out into the world that people came to me for and then came back to me for. Like that was my, my first litmus test is like, what do I put out into the world that people like it enough, value it enough, respect it enough that they will come back and ask me for more, sometimes even years later. And that was a list. Second Venn diagram slice was that I like to do because there were actually a few things that got cut out that was like, I know I've developed this skill set. And even 
developed it pretty well, but I don't get joy from it. I, I don't get any kind of personal nourishment. If anything, this is some of the stuff I find most stressful. I don't want to say distasteful, but like personally distasteful. Like I just, I don't like it. So I don't want to, why would I design a life where that's there? And then the third thing was like that people might actually pay me money for. <laughs> um, and, and at the end, I, I, I sort of found my way home again. It was like, you know, there, there is this skill set around organizational development and design, around organizational health, around creating meaningful, healthy, productive cultures, um, and around the, the, you know, tactical skills of HR. I like doing it. Uh, people might pay me money for it. I, I didn't know yet. And, you know, there was this question of like, well, what if I tried to do this my way as opposed to going to a company and letting them define, this is what this relationship is going to look like. What if I defined it? Would people come to me? And, um, you know, I started with a couple of friends that needed short-term help, uh, initially more on the recruiting side, but that was actually one of the things that wasn't in my Venn diagram. So I was willing to do it short-term, but I knew I didn't want to build a recruiting practice. I have, I have friends now that have them. They're massively successful and they, they do wonderful stuff. It wasn't what I wanted to do. So I very much focused on this, this like open question of whether or not I could do this my way. And it wasn't a foregone conclusion. I actually just gave myself, I think like six months. I was like, I have six months to prove this out. After that, I may just have to go get another job and, and move from there. But you know, it, it, it did okay. Yeah, here we are. Here we are. Yeah, and is there anything else that you would say to somebody that's like trying to do interim roles or trying to, you know, I don't want to say gig work, but contract work, project work with companies, anything you've learned from trying to sell to them, uh, uh, figure out pricing, any, anything else there along the way that's been uh, really helpful to you? So I got some great advice on pricing from a friend of mine that was a freelance designer when I started. And the advice was, um, you don't know what your pricing is yet because you don't really get to decide. I mean, you, you can tell people you cost $8 million a day, but you know, it's not likely that you're going to have a lot of clients. And so his advice was, was choose a price that you think people will say yes to and one that you'd be okay doing the work at that price and kind of start at the, the smallest number where it's like, you know, if, if people paid me this much for this job, this is the least amount I would take and then do that. And then just start increasing, maybe even doubling your price with every subsequent engagement until people consistently say no, and that's your ceiling. And I would add every few years, do it again, because the market moves. And um, that worked really well for me. You know, I, I started with with engagements at a certain price. And, you know, you can tell when people are like, oh, yeah, sure. And you're like, okay, there's clearly, they clearly expected me to say more. <laughs> um, so I never had a strong sense of market. And honestly, when I started doing the interim HR thing, I don't think there was a market. There's several wonderful people in the New York ecosystem um, who do that kind of work now. And, and some HR people kind of cycle in and out of it. They'll, they'll step out of a full-time thing. They'll finish a startup run, maybe for a couple of years, they do consulting and then they, they come back in. But like, there's a woman, I'll just like, you know, hype some people. Like there's a woman named Rochelle DeRay, who's fantastic, who does this kind of work now. There, gosh, a lot of the other people I'm thinking of, there's a woman named Emma Leeds, who's really wonderful at this, who has been doing it for a few years now. There's a guy named Ben Jackson, who has a unique uh, background in product, actually in engineering, and has done some really wonderful things supporting some of those best practices to HR. Uh, and none of them were around when I when I started. So, so going back to the website thing, I was so lucky because there was only one of me, and so I could kind of just sit around and wait for people to find me. It was a you know a little bit um, easier than I think it might be now. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think you don't have to know what you're doing at the beginning. 
I don't think it's necessary. I didn't really know exactly what I offered. I didn't know how much I charged for it. Um, but I could talk to people and I could understand whether what they were asking was within that sphere of like, I like this and I know how to do it. And you're telling me you'll pay me money for it. Cool. The only other tidbit I might add is when I was doing things for the first time, I would sometimes talk to clients about variable compensation outcomes. Like I would just acknowledge I've never done this this way before. And I, what I care about most is that we're all happy at the end. So why don't we, it, it costs this much unless it turns out to be more difficult than we anticipated. And then I'm going to cut like a third off. And it didn't happen a lot, but I can remember one or two times where it was imperfect enough. Like we got there, but since I didn't know what I was doing, there was a lot, a couple extra steps. And I just went to him and was like, I'm feeling good about the, the two thirds price. I actually feel like the full thing would be too much for what we got done. And that probably rescued a so-so client into a positive one. And, and so I, I think you can do a lot. You can be as creative as you want. It's your business. No one can tell you what it looks like or how to run it. I, I'd say feel free to experiment, but also be listening and paying a lot of attention to whether or not and how people respond to you. And, and as you have you seen the market change uh, either through you mentioned how new people are getting involved, but anything related into this newer, you know, uh, post COVID remote work, like how has that affected either uh, the types of engagements that you do, types of inbounds that you've seen? Um, yeah. And any thoughts to somebody else that's out there that's trying to find this type of work um, in this newer environment? Uh, it is different. It is different. I mean, my thing was, was always pretty physical. It was about going to event. I mean, we met at an event, right? I mean, it was about going to events. It was about getting to know people. Uh, it was a lot of just coffees to keep in touch with people, meeting new people. I mean, I, I sort of mentally always had a certain chunk of my week that was just to get to know people and reconnect and keep those relationships vital. And, um, you know, I, I've done some of that over zoom, but it, it isn't the same. Uh, I think I'm a bad person to ask about how to build a consulting practice if you don't already have the network, because that wasn't my experience. You know, I, I think there are people who are very smart and, and very thoughtful on the outbound marketing that can come with this type of, of work or life setup. I, I think there's people that know a lot and have learned a lot about how to build their website, about the personal brand, about the professional brand. And they're wonderful hustlers that, that do really well. And I also just, that, that's also stuff I don't like. So it's also outside of the, the sort of Venn diagram. I, I'm, I'm, it's not just luck because I'll take credit you know, for what I've done, but I am lucky that I've gotten to this place where I make enough. I have enough flexible time in my life for what I want. I enjoy the work I do more or less. I, don't, I have nothing left to build here. You know, there, there are people who don't look at the world that way. But if I just had the same thing that I have now until I retire someday, I'm good. And I, so for anyone that that resonates with, I do want to introduce the notion of sufficiency because I don't think it's a very common idea in our society anymore. And one of the things that's so cool about this portfolio approach is you get to design and you get to decide when my book is full or when it's enough, when I actually get to just acknowledge I've done the thing and I can just enjoy it now. And, um, you know, for me, I, I, I don't have a plan to go and do a bunch of supermarketing from here. I don't feel I need it. Someday, you know, I might take a dip. I might have a different answer for you. Uh, maybe the world will change. And in that changed world, I will need to. But um, I like my tiny little modest business. <laughs> 
Yeah. The point about sufficiency and stuff, I think is, is, you know, even harder for people or even, you know, uh, for, for myself, uh, in, in this environment, because, you know, you're sitting with yourself so much, right. There's not Mm -hmm. as many places to share struggles, celebrate wins. Um, you know, you're in your, for me, bedroom slash office, uh, 24 uh-huh. seven. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's definitely a tougher part, but, uh, for me, I always think about like, you know, podcasting has been a huge way for me to think about sufficiency because it's just like each week, I just feel like, uh, you know, that's the routine. And so mm-hmm. there's not as many highs or lows. It's just, mm-hmm. this is what I do and yeah. this is what I get to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one, one thing that does, come to mind as you talk about all of that. Um, and for anyone who who is listening to my version of this and finds it appealing, and I, I mean, I'm not an expert in any of this stuff, but one one sort of thought or, or I don't even call it a tactic, although I, I sort of realized it, I was doing it second, you know, I was doing it naturally first and then realized what the effect was. Ultimately, if, if you're just one person who is trying to get to sufficient and that's what you're building towards, all, I would argue you need to care about is not the brand you put out there. It's how other people speak about you. And what you're really looking for is that they talk about you both positively and with some warmth, but also that they describe some value that the experience of interacting with you was valuable. Like that's what you want to build with people. It's like, I got value from interacting with Jonathan. It doesn't have to come from me. could be, I mean, it does, you know, or else there's no connection. But what I mean is often is not, I will tell someone, I don't think I'm your person, but you should talk to, you know, one of the people I mentioned before, or there's a woman named Shelby Wolpa, who I worked with at Envision, who now is also a consultant focused exclusively on uh, helping companies set up in a remote environment. And she's an expert at it. You know, Envision was one of the first. And, and I'm happy to send people to Shelby because she's wonderful and she's better at that than me. And, and so someone still knows, like, if I come to this person, it will be valuable. And someone else might refer their friend and say, hey, you should talk to Jonathan. He's a helpful person. I, I, I was doing it before naturally because I just like doing that. Only later did I realize it has a very tangible, positive dividend to a business like this. And, um, you know, as I said, like some of my relationships have a one or two or three or five year arc. I just got reintroduced to someone about coaching that I haven't talked to in five years. And, you know, the, who knows? Who knows when these things come around? And I don't think you have to count your chips. I think you can just trust that if you try and be as helpful as possible, enough good will come back your way. And again, at my size and scale, it's more than I need. And um, that's a wonderful feeling to be able to set something up where the way I'm generating business is just by trying to help people, people find me helpful. Mm-hmm. And so they come to me for help. I dig that. I'm, you know, I, to me, I'm, I, I think if you, if you can create that, that's a really nice way to be able to do it. Yeah. A couple of years ago, I came to you for help and you responded immediately and, and, um, immediately generously, thoughtfully, and, uh, with a potential, uh, with value. So. Oh, thank you. I'm yeah. Glad. <laughs> yeah. Much appreciated then and now. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting. I, I, I think I, I heard you on another podcast once talk about this, like idea of like someone's like your career is based upon like what you can do and who knows that you can do it. Yep. Um, can you maybe talk, I, I might have got it wrong a little bit, but uh, if that sounds somewhat um, resonates a little bit, would love to hear a little bit more of your thoughts on that. No, you got it. I've definitely said that before many times. 
and and it's not solely true. I mean, there are many people who navigate a career based on resume and, and in a more traditional manner. But I, I think the people that do best, at least, and I only know my sphere. You know, I only know the startup ecosystem mostly in New York. This may not hold true in every industry, in every category, but it has been my experience that you know, even take someone who's who's in a pretty linear role. Maybe it's not a portfolio career. You're a engineer who wants to become someday a CTO. Well, that, that's about what you actually know how to do because you're going to have to be able to back it up at some point. But I would argue the best way to build that career is to have people know how great you are at that thing. They'll, they'll find you. They'll remember you. They'll come back to you. And um, I, I think, so when I say that, it's normally this this sort of attempts to lovingly grab very young people by the shoulders and shake them and, and say like, effectively like stop caring so much about title increase, even stop caring a little bit about salary increase, at least at the beginning of, of your career, care about learning and care about the relationships that you have with the people around you. If you are known as someone that people come to, and again, like they get value, like, you, you know, you do the thing you say you're going to do, you do it with excellence and you do it in a way that makes the people around you feel good and actually you know, generates an increased sense of all the good and positive things you want in a business environment, both the tactical outcomes and sort of the feel of the people that arrived at them. You're going to be a highly recruitable person. And you're not going to need to, to go interview to interview, trying to like explain on your resume, like why you've done things and how you've done things. And people know that. And so, yeah, I, I believe that strongly. You do have to focus on the what you know how to do part. Can't all be hype. And I, and I actually have encountered people that I think are so good at the hype and they kind of end up over their skis often. You know, they end up hyping themselves into things they can't do. It's not always so disastrous, but I've seen that happen a good number of times. Um, and you have people that are tremendously talented and they're terrible at talking about it or they're not known for it or, or they're, um, you know, they're, they don't do any work or, or put any sort of thought into how to make something out of that. I think it's the people that do both that tend to move up or across or wherever they want to go uh, fastest and best. Mm-hmm. And has there been anybody that's um, like really helped you along um, either in unexpected ways or um, either, you know, coached you through some, you know, initial uh, time periods of kind of growing the, the one person business, any types of inflection points or anything like, you know what, that random email that I got from some person, like I, I have a, a theory that people are kind of one email away from a new friend Mm-hmm. new podcast, mm-hmm. um, new opportunity. But uh, yeah, any thoughts on that? Um, a couple of people come to mind. First, and I mean this very seriously, it's like the therapist that I saw at the time. It was scary. It is scary. It not was. I mean, I to this day, when I get come into a, a month where I'm wrapping up work and I don't yet have the next body of work, there's a part of my brain that doesn't believe I'm ever going to work again, ever. Mm. And I'm, whatever it is, six plus years into this, and I manage that voice a lot differently than I used to. I have a wildly different relationship with it. That doesn't mean it's not there. I don't think everyone experiences this. I do think a lot of people have some version of this. And I, I still to this day will be terrified moment to moment um, You know, when, when one thing has been released and another thing has not yet come in to fill the space. And so I, therapy, coaching, I mean, I am a coach now, so obviously I'm, I'm pro coaching. But um, for someone like me, where the experience of, of all that unknown, especially at the beginning, was, was tremendously stressful in a different way, uh, I actually found great value in having a place to work that out. Um, I also, the, 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 the person who 
helped sort of help me fall backwards into this interim VP of people role. I accidentally created a whole new piece of my career for me. Similarly with coaching, I didn't actually go out to be a coach. I was out to lunch with someone who was a friend of mine. And at the end, he was like, this was amazing. Can we do this again? I was like, sure. It's like, how much? I was like, how much what? It's like, no, I want to pay you to coach me. He's like, I'm not coaching you. You're just getting lunch. And, and that, so I've had other people recognize something in me I wasn't seeing in myself yet. And to, and I'm still in touch with all those people. And um, I mean, those people didn't mean to, but they changed my life. I mean, changed the trajectory of my life personally and professionally. And uh, I know that's a little different. I mean, I actually haven't had a lot of close mentors in that way. Um, but but there, there are people like that. Actually, the, the guy that replaced me at Envision, I ended up working with him for several months and learned a tremendous amount. But I'm mostly self-taught, um, not with the coaching. I mean, I have a certification and I continue to train constantly. But a lot of what I learned, I kind of learned by doing versus by watching someone else do it. An executive recruiter said to me years ago, there's, there's two types of mentors or two types of, of teachers. There's one where you, you have a mentor or a guide and they, they teach you the, the thing. And, and the other one, the experience is the teacher. And I've, I've been more in that second category for most of my career. The experience is the teacher. Hmm. I love that part about the people. Well, A, they're also <laughs> say, hey, I want to pay you for it, but it's also the people that believe in you and can see opportunity in you and see things more than you can see yourself. So it's, I think speaks to the, the, to the point of just surrounding yourself with, you know, just great people and you kind of never know where things can go from there. Um, anything else that you think we, we missed as people are building their portfolio careers, as people are, you know, the business of ones, freelancers pitching, um, and presenting proposals to companies, anything else that you think we missed? The one other thing I would say that I think is really important, or it has been really important for me. And I, I like all these things, I, I really don't want to come off as like, oh, I've mastered all of this stuff. It's not true. It's just, first of all, it's just flat out not true. Uh, and, and second of all, I just, I don't want to be that guy. But one thing that I have changed a lot over the last, whatever, five, six years is how much I will or won't flex and where I will or won't flex. And so at the beginning, I was so excited to have a client. I was very, very bendy in terms of what they wanted and how they wanted it. And I'm not sure that was wrong, by the way. I, I think, you know, this is not all set in stone. A lot of this is about where you are in the development of your career, your skill set, your knowledge base, your business. But um, uh, one other quote, if, if, if you'll indulge me, I think it's Abraham Lincoln. It's first decide where to play, plant your feet and then hold fast, something like that. And, and I think that's really important in the the consulting game or any sort of portfolio approach. I don't try and pick up everybody as a coaching client. I try and explore with them what it's like to coach with me and let them make a choice about whether or not that's a good fit. I don't try to convince every single um, person that comes my way asking for some sort of HR engagement to work with me. I try and understand whether or not that's actually gonna be beneficial for them and do I wanna do it? And, and there's a real power in saying no, both for yourself and for them. And I completely understand why in the first year of your business, that might not be as available to you totally or two years or five years. I mean, I, I also get that. I don't want to make this sound like um, I don't want to divorce it from reality, but the inner game of exploring, like, who am I in this? Who do I want to be? You know, what, what would my dream engagement look like? And what would I be doing and not doing having that orientation and building towards that, which inevitably means saying no to money and saying no to other opportunities. I think that's tremendously important. 
And eventually people, I think, can really feel it from you when you're not so much trying to sell them. You're just trying to figure out whether or not this is the right thing. And I, I guess I would put that forward as, as a goal to consider to get to your business just to a place where you have that kind of optionality. I still don't have it time to time. Like I said, there, I, mm -hmm. I don't want to misrepresent. There's months where like, I don't have a lot of work. There's months where I have too much work. And those are choices being presented to me about when the next person comes along and I haven't had work in a month or so, do I want to let my desperation voice actually drive? Or do I want to hold to what I actually know is right? And, and I, I both mean right morally, and I just mean right and correct in terms of what I want to do and how I want to do it. And I found that every time I, I let that slip, I regret it. Every time I hold to it, good things come. And because you want people to come back to you and know you for this thing, you want to know how to do it. You want people to know that you know how to do it. You don't want people to know that you know how to do the wrong thing or else they're going to come back to you for it more. And <laughs> that's not what you want. So I guess that would be my other thing. Amazing. Um, so as people want to come to you, uh, I know they can't go to your website because it doesn't exist, but um, if people want to you know, follow up, learn more, stay in touch, uh, what would be the best way, Jonathan? Well, I'm at Basker on Twitter and I do check DMs and things like that. Uh, you can just email me. It's jonathan.basker at gmail.com. Uh, and, and that's probably the best way. Just shoot me an email if, if you ever want to talk. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good to see you. Hey friend, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of Portfolio Career Podcast. would love to hear what you learned and what you enjoyed. Um, you can find me on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, whatever is best for you. And as a reminder, I'm just one email away as well. This episode with timestamp notes is available on my website at PortfolioCareerPodcast.com. There you can subscribe to my newsletter called One Email Away, which includes the best insights from the podcast and friend-sourced opportunities. So excited for you to build and grow your portfolio career. Thank you so much.